Hey, you beautiful people. Welcome to the Impact Code, where we take deep dives into the stories and journeys of impact in the lives of our guests. If this is your first episode, thanks for being here. And if you're back, thanks for coming back. Today's guest is someone who is very near and dear to me, someone who has been a mentor, a friend, a coach in my life over the past several years. His name is Dave McCauley. Let me tell you a little bit about Dave. Dave is an independent certified leadership coach, consultant, and he's a founding member of the John Maxwell team. He's also certified in the Five Voices system. Dave has over 40 years of experience in leading teams in a wide variety of settings, including businesses, nonprofits, and churches. In 2004, he started an organization called Summit Leadership Foundation in Johnson City, Tennessee, where I have lived in the past. Dave used leadership as an opportunity to serve others and developed this framework that I love called the Core X25 framework to help leaders identify issues and then craft solutions that will best serve their teams and align them for success. So Dave is someone that is a wealth of knowledge. He tells uh, stories and uses illustrations a lot of times to sort of convey points that he's trying to make. And he's someone who I've learned a tremendous amount from, and I'm so excited to share him with you today. Before we dive in, I need to mention that today's episode is brought to you completely free by Tower Community Bank. Tower Community Bank is a regional bank in Middle Tennessee. You can find us in Chattanooga, Huntsville, Nashville, and anywhere in between that. We call that the Tower Triangle. Tower places a lot of focus on making our communities better places to live, work, and raise a family, which is why Tower and everyone at Tower cares so much about bringing this podcast to you completely free. So Tower pays for all of the equipment. Tower pays for all the hosting. Anything to do with this podcast is funded by Tower Community Bank. So as a thank you, be sure to check us out. You can find us at www.towercommunitybank.com. Please visit the website, take a look around, and if you see something you like, reach out. And now, without further ado, my conversation with Dave McCauley. Hey, Dave, welcome to the Impact Code. Hey, Brett, thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So Dave, I want to start by sharing just a little bit about how you and I know each other. And you and I met several years ago. It's probably been five or six years since we met. And I met you in the capacity of a leadership mastermind. And that group was set up to basically learn together, to grow together, to have some accountability around learning this thing called leadership. And since that time, you have been one of the most impactful, meaningful mentors in my life. And so when I started this show, The Impact Code, I knew 100% Dave's got to be on the show. Dave's probably going to be a repeat guest. And I'm sure everybody's going to be talking about Coach Dave because I'm I'm going to try to get you on here as much as I can. Um, so I'd love to to maybe take a step back and talk about this concept of leadership and how you transitioned into leadership, because I know your story personally, and you weren't always a leadership or an executive coach. You transitioned into that. So can we start by talking about how did you transition into that? What were the circumstances in your life that led you towards becoming a leadership coach? Yeah, thanks, Brett. And uh, it's been great just to be with you on your journey and uh, to see you grow and continue to expand as a leader and, and just uh, just 
appreciate so much being on on your podcast here too. But I go course. back and one, one of the passions that I have with younger leaders like yourself uh, is looking back on those days when I was coming out of my teenage years and wanting to get more involved in things, whether it be at school mm-hmm. or church or in the community, and found myself volunteering to be in a leadership position. And then uh, <laughs> realizing that I really was an imposter. I, I really did not know what I was doing. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, one of my mentors over the years is John Maxwell. And one of the things that he has said is, you know, we all learn from our, our mistakes, but it's much preferable to learn from other people's mistakes. You know, so in other words, we can <laughs> learn from our own, but, you know, there's yeah. a certain point where uh, it's nice to have somebody else come along and, and share and, and help us think through things. And what I discovered mm-hmm. in my early years as a leader, uh, both in the nonprofit sector, then moving into business at my own uh, retail furniture store in my late 20s, and leading a staff and trying to be more involved in the community, I just found myself making some very serious uh, leadership mistakes, uh, some of them mm. over and over again, where mm. uh, some of the things came naturally to me as a leader. Uh, but as a leader, as you continue to build influence, uh, your words and actions carry a lot of weight. And yeah. that was one of the things I learned the hard way is the way I said things, the tone by which I said things, the timing of how I communicated really did have more weight to it than if I was just talking to a peer when I was talking to somebody that I was leading. And so I found out very early on that I, 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 I was struggling with some issues of how to truly motivate people, uh, learning. And, and I would say, and, and I'll share this because I think this is really vital to my leadership journey that I'm still learning, uh, you know, decades mm-hmm. later. And it's the, it's the value of awareness for a leader. You know, so often, and that's one of the questions I get asked is, you know, what do you think is the number one attribute of a leader? And a lot of people think, you know, personality, being, you know, charismatic, being high energy, being very decisive, uh, you know, being good with people, all those things come up on the top of the list. But for me, the number one thing is awareness. Mm. It's awareness of myself. It's awareness of my situation and it's awareness of those around me. And if I can become more aware uh, I can be more effective in how I influence people and how I lead them. And that's probably been one of my greatest struggles as a leader over the years is one being self-aware in that moment. And I still make mistakes in this area. I just had one this week where I was in a conversation mm-hmm. with somebody and uh, they were offended by the way I said something. And I right. meant no harm. I meant no ill will. I was just communicating my thought, but I did it in a way that sounded harsh or sounded demeaning. And I just wasn't in the moment aware. And it's yeah. uh, it's one of my areas that I continually try to trip up on as a leader. So that was one of the things early on that I think uh, being aware of the weight of my words, being aware of the weight of my actions around other people, you can undermine your leadership. Uh, very, very quickly. And, and quite frankly, when I look back on those days, I look back and sometimes I just cringe at the yeah. things I said and did. Uh, other you times I actually laugh. Some of it is actually funny. <laughs> Some of the yeah. things that I thought was yeah. the right thing to say in the moment. And it was so wrong or so bad uh, that it actually brings a smile to my face today. So that was early on in, in my leadership journey. That's kind of what got me more interested in growing as a leader and then maybe trying to get some mentors around me. Mm, I love that. So it occurred to me as you were telling 
that story, Dave, that we really didn't define leadership. And I wonder if maybe some of our listeners could benefit from knowing how do you define leadership? Because I think a lot of people think of it in a different way, or maybe it means different things to different people. So how would you personally define leadership? What does it mean to you? So I, I see it, you know, John Maxwell has this leadership definition, you know, leadership is influence, nothing more, nothing less. Mm. I'm not sure that I totally agree with that. I think that's overly simplified. I do think leadership is influence, but I Mm -hmm. do think the key to leadership is the people side of the equation because we often get asked, what's the difference between a manager and a leader? Uh, A leader does both, right? We kind of manage systems, we manage equipment, we manage processes, but we need to lead people. When we start trying to manage people, when we start trying to control them, when we don't energize them and equip them and challenge them, uh, then I think we uh, we lose out as a leader. So the second part, I think leadership is influence, but it is finding someone and meeting them where they are, a person, mm-hmm. and then taking them to their preferred future um, of how mm-hmm. they're going to become successful. So as a leader, we move someone from where they are. We meet them there. Right. Not everybody mm-hmm. start, has the same starting place, but as a leader, it's about the person. How do we find out what their goals, what their aspirations are? How can we help them succeed? How can we challenge them? And how do we take them to a place where they can be successful? Their preferred future, not necessarily ours, but if we can help enough people, this is an old Zig Ziglar thing, help enough people get what they want. They'll help you what, get what what you want. So you help yeah. them on their journey. And in that process, we try to align their journey with maybe the mission of your organization. Uh, but I find that's very important as a leader too, is why the why behind uh, the activity of the day. You know, people are mm-hmm. not machines. And if they don't tie into passionately into the why behind what you're trying to accomplish, but when we can take them to their preferred future and whatever their uh, skills are or interests are, when we can, as a leader, can help align their skills and interests and passions to our mission, then mm-hmm. we get what is referred to as the win-win, right? It's it's something yeah. they find fulfilling, and then we're going to accomplish our mission because we brought them along. So it is influence, definitely influence, but it's taking someone and meeting them where they are and taking them to their preferred future and then aligning them uh, with your mission. I love that definition. And I think it's also important to point out that leadership isn't always positional. So you can be a leader without holding a leadership title. You don't have to have a president title, a vice president title, the title, even of manager or supervisor of lead. You can lead up, you can lead around, you can lead down from any position or any unit, right? Your familial unit, your friend unit, your gym unit, whatever it is, you you can have leadership in all of those areas. Do you agree with that? Yeah, definitely. I think that's why I like that concept of leadership being influence, uh, mm-hmm. because it's not necessarily a position of authority or even yeah. a position of responsibility. It is taking responsibility, but it's a leader doesn't say that's not my job, right? A leader doesn't mm-hmm. lead, just turn it on and turn it off. Uh, you're a leader everywhere. Um, and I like the idea of you know, being a servant oriented leader where you're serving your other oriented in what your leadership is. Well, that doesn't stop. That means that when you're at the grocery store, you may let someone go in line in front of you. That's an element of leadership, of directing, of, yeah. of caring for other people or putting other people before yourself. As simple as mm-hmm. that, it's not something that turns on and turns off. And I do think mm-hmm. uh, that's something that we actually talk with uh, with leaders about is how, how do you become that 360 
uh, leader or influencer, or if you don't have a position of authority in an organization, uh, how do you think through how you might influence that organization? And it may not be a huge change at a time, but as you influence people, you gain their respect. Uh, you gain a certain amount of belief from them. Uh, and that's when you start moving the needle on either the culture within an organization or a process or a system uh, or whatever it might be. So, yes, I do think that leadership goes all directions. I will say from our uh, we have a mutual friend uh, that is from Zimbabwe and mm -hmm. uh, he's actually going to be on the podcast next week. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I yeah. had this conversation with him and this, this struck me because it's, it's interesting that this came up because it fascinated me and that culture uh, titles are very, very important. Mm -hmm. And what uh, Pi explained to me is a title explains your relationship with someone in that culture. So, so, so many times I mm -hmm. found myself, I say, you know, it's leadership's just a title. It's not a, you know, shouldn't be that important. You should be able to lead without the title. But sometimes, it, you know, if we take that to the to the place of authority and mandating, then it's not healthy. But there mm -hmm. are times where titles do help us define relationships. And that's something I learned from our friend Pi is that mm -hmm. titles aren't all bad. Like we shouldn't shy away from them. Uh, yeah. And we need to, uh, you know, so to this day, when when Pi addresses me, I'm Mr. Dave, right? He, yeah. just, he yeah. just addresses me that way. It's a way for him to express a level of respect. And, uh, and, and I appreciate that. So there are times where a title may not be bad. It's whether it's how we use the title. If we mm -hmm. use the title to help someone understand our relationship with them. Again, if someone sees that leadership title as someone who's going to help set them up for success, uh, then that title means something different than if they see that title as someone who threatens them or, uh, you know, who's the person that could make or break their career. I mean, that's a different feel uh, for is. that title. Yeah, it is. I think that's an important distinction. And thanks to Pi for, yeah. for bringing that up. I actually hadn't heard him say that before or heard you share that. So that's a I think it's a really valuable distinction to make. So. Dave, let's go back and you're running a, a furniture business, right? You're running your own furniture business. And what was the moment when you decided that you might be able to shift into coaching? Was it then while you were running the store? Was it later down the road? Like when was that moment when you're like, I think I might actually enjoy teaching other people about some of these lessons that I've learned? Yeah, so the, the real start in the kind of the journey of this uh, was as I was in business, when you when you own a business, you run a business, you get asked mm -hmm. to serve on boards, uh, you get asked for certain things that you're going to do in the community. We had uh, young children growing up, so I started coaching soccer, started coaching baseball, dealing with parents, dealing with the kids, uh, you know, getting more involved on boards of nonprofits in the community and found myself kind of pushed into these leadership roles and positions. And actually what happened during that season of time in my life, I started recognizing that I was getting more fulfillment out of those roles than I was out of selling sofas and recliners. Yeah. And uh, there was a point I just woke up one day and thought, oh my goodness, because my dad was in retail furniture business. And uh, I grew up in business with him and kind of the next thing was to have my own store. So I had my own store and one day literally woke up and thought, my goodness, I'm not living my dream. I'm living my dad's dream. Right. Wow. And it, it was a wake up. It was like a path that I took that was the default path. And I could do it. I grew up with it at my mm -hmm. dad's support. Uh, and mm -hmm. then probably one of the most difficult conversation I ever had with my dad was when I had to call him up, say, hey, I want to talk to you about my career. 
I'm thinking about making a change because he had invested a lot, not only in teaching me the business, but helping me get into my own business. But he was amazingly gracious and supportive. And, uh, and so I started that transition then of trying to move into, so I went to work for a large nonprofit, uh, through those connections ended up, uh, ended up in Northeast Tennessee and actually was on church staff for a while at a, at a church setting and then started mm-hmm. my own nonprofit back in 2004, but started that transition back, uh, moving out of the furniture store into saying what I really want to do is lead groups of people. And in the nonprofit world, uh, I found that extremely, uh, exhilarating because you were around a particular passionate mission or cause, uh, right. people are highly motivated. They're not mm-hmm. necessarily getting paid. That's one of the areas where it's really a challenge as a leader is when you've got a team of people you're leading that are either underpaid or not paid at all. And mm-hmm. you're moving them towards a cause or a mission and and they're uh, committed to it. And I found that to be some of the most fulfilling type of leadership. And I found it personally fulfilling. And I found that I was, uh, I wouldn't say good at it, but I had a natural aptitude for it. Right. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like somebody that has Mm -hmm. a natural music ability or sports ability. I had a natural aptitude. I wasn't as good at as as I needed to be. I needed coaching and needed to get those muscles built up for it. But I found myself naturally being able to do it and and it making sense to me. So that's kind of how I transitioned from the retail world into leadership in the nonprofit world. Yeah. There was so much good in that and so many things I want to dive into further. I think the one I want to dive into next, Dave, is talking about you mentioned living your dad's dream instead of living your own dream. I think there might be a lot of people listening to this who are in a situation like that where it may not be their dad. It may be someone else that they know uh, may have been, you know, maybe they made a decision to get a certain degree in college and they're they're following that path of that degree, but they're not incredibly fulfilled from it. It's not really lighting them up inside. They feel like maybe they're not on the right path and they found something else that they've maybe identified that they're like, I really enjoy this thing, but having the courage to actually step out and to have that conversation, it could be with a boss, could be with a parent, could be with a spouse, where did you find that courage to have that conversation or where would you recommend that people start to find the courage to have that conversation? Because it seems so difficult to get over. That's a major hump for a lot of people. And some people won't ever make the choice to go over. Right. Yeah. And I think the, I I would definitely uh, recommend that people think about that. There's a workshop that I do now that's spun off of that experience. That's just called you have a dream. And it's something mm. that I've just um, experienced with so many people when I sit down and talk with them that almost everybody has some sort of dream. And, and one of yeah. the reasons, that, and it follows them around in life. Uh, there's a little book that I can recommend, and I, I can't remember the publisher, but it's the title of the book is What Do You Do With an Idea? And it's a children's book, probably one of the most insightful books on having a dream about life that, that I can fathom. And it's a book you and can it, read. I actually, what was it called? It, it's what, called, what can uh, I do with an idea? Yeah, what, can, what, what do you do with an idea? What do you do with an what idea? What do you do with okay. an idea? And it's a little, it's a children's storybook that you can read in 10 minutes, but I'll actually mm. sit down with an executive team and read that book to them. Uh, because wow. the, what's in it is this idea of, uh, the dream comes to you in a seed form. In fact, in the workshop that I do, when I do the workshop on You Have a Dream, typically I give everybody a pack of seeds in it. 
I just had a lady here <laughs> cool. uh, a few weeks ago that went to that workshop 10 years ago, and she has a flower garden out in her backyard from the seeds that I'd given her on that. No but part way. of the point is, as That's long so as cool. you leave the seeds or the idea in the packet, nothing's ever going to happen with it. Wow. Right. So your idea yeah. is like a seed. And until you start cultivating the soil, so you start taking some actions, a process involved. So going to what you were saying, and this is one of the things that I didn't do as good a job with because I, I get excited about things. I move very quickly into things. I'm a ready, fire, aim kind of person many times. <laughs> and uh, so as I move into things, I move into them quickly. And that's one of the things that I would recommend is people explore what their dream is, but then develop a good process, almost like a farmer does for planting a crop. How are you going to mm -hmm. prepare the soil? Now, when you plant the seeds, recognize that probably not a lot's going to happen right at first when you start planting those seeds. Mm -hmm. The other thing that happens when you plant seeds, and this is true of people, I don't know what it is about people around us, but when we start trying to share our dream or share the excitement of our dream with other people, I don't know if it sounds crazy to them or they're having a hard time connecting to it or we're not explaining it the way we see it. I don't know what the reasons are, but there are people around us that for whatever reason want to discourage us and choke out our dream. It's just like having weeds, yeah. weeds grow up around the seed, right? So one of the things yeah. that we have to do as leaders as we start living, planting the dream and cultivating the dream is we're going to have to pull weeds around it. There's going to be those times that people are going to say things that discourage us, make us want to quit, not follow our dream. But just like a good farmer, we've got to, we got to pull the weeds. We've got to tend to that crop, you know, and then the environment around it is all part of this too. Sometimes you're going to get favorable environment for your dream to grow. And sometimes you're not. So sometimes the first time you try to launch whatever that is, you may not succeed but that doesn't mm. mean your dream was bad maybe just the soil wasn't ready or the timing wasn't ready or the environment wasn't ready and what i remind people when they're pursuing their dream is what a good farmer does is after a bad crop year they do exactly the same thing the next year they huh. just yeah. are probably not going to have two bad weather years in a row uh, so they right. go through the same process again and they do it again uh, but I, and, and I would say that was true of myself when I transitioned out of the furniture business, went to work for a large nonprofit, then went to work with a church. Both of those turned out to be good experiences to grow me, but they weren't mm -hmm. my dream. They, mm -hmm. they just weren't. And it's when the third one beca became my dream. So I had two that yeah. were transitional in nature. Uh, they helped me move toward my dream, uh, but they were not my dream of what I wanted to do. Uh, so yeah. I, you know, there is a process involved in, in that kind of that seed analogy is one that, that I think is helpful because a lot of people walk around with their dream and that's what that little book is, you know, what do you do with an idea? It has that idea this until you do something with it, but once you do something with it, it starts to grow. Mm -hmm. You better be ready for when it starts to grow because when it starts to grow, you have to care for it. You have to tend yeah. to it. You have to, and, and, uh, and then the final line at that is, which I love in that book without giving away the end of the story. But my favorite line at the end of the book is, what do you do with an idea? You change the world, right? Mm -hmm. These ideas that stir in our heart. And from my faith perspective, I believe God puts ideas in our heart yeah. uh, to serve other people, to impact uh, culture, to solve a problem, uh, to create a better world for not just ourselves, but other people around us. And uh, that's what that idea is there for. So people who have that dream, one of the reasons they are, I think, and that I've discovered that they're really 
uh, scared to share it is people's reaction when they scare, share their dream. If you, and I, mm. we tell people, uh, Summit Leadership, we do this. We help people start organizations and causes. And, and we tell them, if, you're, if your dream doesn't sound a little crazy, uh, it's probably not a big enough gr- dream. I mean, it should mm. sound a little crazy. It should sound a little unreachable, unattainable. Uh, it needs to be that big to be compelling. And uh, yeah. when you have a large, compelling dream, uh, people, I don't know, for some reason, they, they want to talk us down from it. And, and, and you mm. got to not let that happen. Yeah. And I've experienced that personally as well. When there's been, like you mentioned, something maybe that I wanted to start. Maybe it was a job that I was thinking about taking or a relocation to a new city. And I was very fortunate to have you as a part of that journey to help sort of think through and filter the feedback because there were people along the way that I would share that with and be really excited. And they're like, Oh no, 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 no. You, you don't want to go there. You yeah. don't, or you don't want to take on that challenge. Like the, what happened to the last guy is going to happen to you. And that can be such a devastating thing when you're in the midst of it. Do you, do you have any guidance for how do you protect that, that dream that you have and filter through like, how do you differentiate what's valid feedback where I should actually, because there is sometimes merit to some of that feedback that I need to listen to. And then just someone sharing something because maybe something happened to them and they were hurt in a similar way and and they want to protect you or maybe they're jealous or whatever reason. How do you differentiate between feedback that should be listened to and at least considered and feedback that should probably be ignored? No, that's a great question. I do think your point shows a lot of good wisdom and insight on your part. When you share uh, your idea with people who are close to you, their first Mm -hmm. reaction is one to protect you. All right. So when they see the risk, uh, they don't look at risk reward the same as you do. They don't give as much value to the reward side of things. They're just seeing the risk side. Mm -hmm. They don't want you to be hurt. But the other one is true. Jealousy can be a factor, too, with people that are close to you. Uh, that somehow, uh, and we see this in certain culture uh, places where uh, people feel uncomfortable when a family member uh, maybe becomes more successful than the rest of the family. Uh, if mm-hmm. your entire family was uh, middle class and suddenly someone in the family has an opportunity to become super wealthy or whatever, they they may discourage them just from that standpoint of discomfort. Uh, in is it jealousy, envy? Is it um, you know, remorse on their part that they weren't as successful. It doesn't feel fair. I mean, there's, there's reasons they may pull you back. Uh, so what I typically mm. try to, uh, and this is the value of coaching, I think, is yeah. trying to get somebody uh, that can be more objective in the situation. And I find it sometimes like, uh, like being with you on this journey uh, with your leadership and your growth over the years, after a while uh, you start, getting more engaged with that person to the point where you start getting more personally involved and you're not as objective as you were when you first started the coaching. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's one of the things as a coach that I always have to remind myself is to remain aware of how objective that awareness thing becomes big again, because it's easy for other people to live your life for you. So you don't want mm-hmm. around people that say things like, if I were you, this is what I would do. That's not helpful, right? Or, Mm -mm. uh, you know, I tried that and it didn't work. Or I know people 
those other people aren't you, right? That's what people That's right. do to kill our dreams. So one of the things that I try to do, and I run into this uh, with people that may be ready to quit their job or whatever, and they're all upset or they weren't treated right or something went wrong. I don't tell them to quit or not quit. I just try to help them think through what's a good process. And the first mm-hmm. thing that I always do as a coach is to have people slow it down. Yeah. Right. So we're looking at, we see this in sports a lot. I, I think uh, football is the classic example where you have a starting quarterback that gets injured during the game and they have to put in the second string quarterback or the backup, whoever that would be. And typically the first play is a handoff, right? Uh, mm-hmm. the, because the, when that player goes into the game, the pace of the game, the speed of everything around them, the, the trying to k- just get acclimated to the game, uh, they have to slow things down uh, They ha- in their own head, in their own emotions, uh, and mm-hmm. their reaction time is not what it needs to be, right? So they usually start out with a simple play. And then they, yeah. as the person's in the game longer, they'll progress as to the difficulty or the complexity of whatever play they have them do. Well, the same as when you're going through any kind of a transition or trying to shift to something new or change of a job is slow things down. Make sure you have a good process. Make sure you do the easy things or the small, do things small before you try to do them big. All those kind of things I think are good and having somebody coach you through that or help you think through that, but somebody that's just going to maybe ask questions um, or uh, ask you, did you think about this or what do you think about this? And it's more about Mm -hmm. questions and slowing down and having a good process. I think uh, I'm a big fan of T charts and I know you've used these before where you're just going to one side, you know, what are the, what are the rewards of this? What are the positives? What are the Mm -hmm. negatives? Right. Mm-hmm. And, and in my current situation, how does that compare with my current situation to what I'm, what are the pros? What are the cons? And, and you start mm-hmm. doing good process. And the final thing I'll say is when you have good process, you know, human nature is to have decision remorse, whether it's buying a new car or a house right. or, you mm-hmm. know, buying a new TV, even uh, somehow afterwards <laughs> uh, we can have buyer's remorse or decision remorse. And what I've found in my life is the more I can rely on good process. The more I know I got the right coaching, uh, the mm-hmm. more I know I slowed it down and I just didn't do something that was a reaction. I thought about this. I made a choice. Now, if it doesn't turn out as well as I would have wanted it to, knowing that I went through a good process somehow takes away that angst of the decision mm-hmm. remorse or I wish I had never done that. Uh, it's easier to then turn to what can I learn from that if you've had good process than it is if you don't have good process. You don't think about learning from it when you don't have good process. You just think about avoiding it again in the future. When you have good process, right. the whole thing becomes a learning experience, even if it doesn't mm-hmm. turn out well. And like I said, yeah. when I was doing my transitions, my first two career choices after moving out of retail furniture business, I discovered in time weren't the ideal. They started out as that, but over time recognized yeah. it wasn't the dream that I thought it was going to be. And it took me mm-hmm. a while to find it. But each time I refined and learned, I had a good process for each one. And each one, you know, first one lasted three years, second one lasted 10. Now I've, where I'm at, where I really like it, I'm coming up on 20, right? So you just see yeah. the progression of the amount of time you find yourself uh, where you really need to be. I love that. Tell me some of the questions that you would ask someone who is going through something right now and they need to slow it down. What are some of the questions that you would ask them in a coaching session to sort of trigger that slowing down, thinking through building good process? Yeah. The, you know, I go back to 
Stephen Covey principles from the seven habits of highly effective people. Right. Right. So yeah. I start thinking about things like, you know, uh, you know, what, it, what are, can you, can you begin with the end in mind here? Right. Like mm. what is your ultimate goal? What, what do you really want out of life? And that can mm. be things. And I've even had people go through exercises. And this is a good one to do is to uh, actually sit down and write out what you think life would look like. 10 days to the day from today. So if today is wow. January 1st, 2023, let's say, yeah. then I look at it January 1st, 2033. How, and, and take out a piece of paper and describe what that day looks, looks like. Where do you live? Uh, what does your family look like? Uh, what kind of car are you driving? What does work like look like? What do your hobbies look like? What are you doing on that day, if it's your ideal day 10 years from now, what is what does your life look like? And to start fleshing out some of those things of what we really, what fulfills us in life? What do we really desire? What are we really looking for? Uh, it helps us kind of understand what the future, uh, our desired or ideal future would be. And then the question mm -hmm. when we come back to today is, as I'm moving through this, not how do I get there, but how do I start moving in that direction? What am I doing today? How do I learn? How do I adapt and adjust so that I can start moving in the direction of what that picture of the future might be? So that old kind of Stephen Covey principle of begin with the end in mind, I think is, is, is a good principle. And then the, the other one that, that ties in closely with that is being proactive. Uh, you can't do it all, but do something, right? Even if it's research. Yeah. Even mm -hmm. if it's asking somebody else that was on that journey, and I'm always careful with that because their journey is not your journey, but you can learn things from other people's yeah. journey. Listen to them. Mm -hmm. Don't try to do their exact journey because you're a different person, but learn from their journey. Yeah. What can you take from them? And and so I would just say that those are some of the things uh, that you would want to, you know, kind of start thinking about as, as you go through it. Uh, and, and then I would also is it good? I, I, the other principle and this is something I, I have a I have a picture just on the other side of this wall of this but it's actually grandfather mountain North Carolina there's a swing bridge up in the mountain uh, that mm -hmm. goes between two peaks with a chasm in between and it's kind of a awesome thing that tourists walk across and it's uh, one of those nerve-wracking little crossings because it's a it's a swing bridge up in the clouds but I have a picture of that uh, that bridge going into a cloud bank and mm -hmm. I keep it in front of me because that's what it feels like a lot as a leader. Uh, when you're going yeah. into uncertainty, you're going through change. Uh, sometimes we lo it looks and the road ahead is just totally foggy. We can't see very far ahead. And so we have to move into that as leaders. This is the be proactive. So what I, what I really encourage people to do is when you are looking into a fog bank as a leader, what you have to do is take one step. For every step you take, you see a mm. step further. But if you stand so still, powerful. you'll never get further, right? So you can't mm. run into it. You don't know how far you're going, but you need to take a step. And, and whatever that step is toward, that's why it's so important to have that future in mind. What's the direction you want to go? Uh, what's going to move you in that direction? You're not going to get the whole way there, but what's one step? One thing I could do today that would move me in that direction. When you take that one step into the fog, of whatever your circumstances are, you will see one step further. You'll you'll start seeing what your next mm. step could be. Uh, but when you stand still, you're just frozen in that uh, and you never move. And that's what a lot of people end up doing when they hit that fog bank because they just stop. Uh, yeah. And that's the moment we need to move, but you need to move one step at a time. Yeah. In my life, 
I found it to be true that often I want to wait until I'm motivated to take that step. And I know motivation is a whole separate conversation beyond even what we're talking about here, but I found it personally true 100% of the time that I always have to take that first step before I'm motivated. And then it seems that the motivation starts to build as I maybe gain confidence and feel a little more competent in taking that step because I take that step and I get a little bit of feedback. I can see a step further and I'm like, oh, that's not as scary as I thought it was behind that fog. Right. And so I take that next step more confidently. And so sometimes I, I've found it to be really true in my life that if I can just manage to take that next step, that often the step after becomes a little more clear and I feel a little more motivated to take that step. And it tends to build, um, organically instead of me being really motivated all of a sudden and then wanting to take the step. Yeah. And you know, in the contrast, that is the burning platform principle, right? That there are some times where we're forced just by levels of discomfort or we always had Mm. this dream, but somebody fires us or the company goes out of business or whatever. And you have this burning platform that forces you into it, but it's a lot better to take the step. And I know you go to the gym and stuff too. And I, I just find this, you know, this analogy works with that, but, uh, yeah. you know, just, you know, putting, putting the gym clothes on or just driving to the, to the fitness facility or right. those, those, you haven't started working out yet, but just moving in that direction. It's huge. Is yeah. That gets you there. Right. It's that's, the you don't give up step. when you get to the gym parking lot, you yeah. give up if you hit the snooze button in bed and you never make sure. the first step out sure. of bed. Right. And that's, so yeah. that's the difference maker is to, that becomes your first step is making the choice uh, to get get in the car and take your gym bag and start driving in that direction. You you haven't worked out yet, but you've taken a step that's going to get you there. And then how do you feel afterwards? You know, you always feel like a greater sense of accomplishment. Awesome. And, it motiv- yeah. and, and when you get in that rhythm, it motivates you for the next day and for the next step. Right. right? And there's, so there mm-hmm. is a momentum that builds. Uh, and even if there's a time where you know, you take a step back, uh, that pattern reminds you, right? So you can go back, even if for whatever reason, through sickness or injury, you don't get to work out for several weeks. The memory of that regular workout uh, is easier to replicate that you've done that before. You can do it again, right? And same thing when you're on this journey, uh, career-wise or leadership-wise, it's not always a direct line. Like, that's why I tell people somehow we got this idea that, uh, you know, God gives us some big vision dream for the future and, and that we're going to have this nice, smooth, gold road paved between us and that uh, big objective. But it's never that. It's always an uphill, windy, rocky, dark path that we have to follow. And it mm-hmm. literally is figuring it out a step at a time. And it's never easy. Right. But mm-hmm. the, the more yeah. we get behind us, the more progress we make, the more momentum we build. And, mm-hmm. and more, I think, tenacity to to keep going, right? And to keep doing it. Mm-hmm. And I found progress isn't always linear. I think it can be at times. And I think those times make us feel really good and like we're doing really well. But I think also sometimes progress is two steps forward and a step back and then three steps forward and a step back. And sometimes in those step backs, it can feel like failing. But I think we have to zoom out in those moments and look at the broader picture, which is something you've been so valuable in my life and helping do is zoom out 
is slow down, is look at not just what's happening right in front of me, but at the entire trajectory, at my dreams, at my family, at my own goals and and how all of those things tie together. And so that's one thing that I think you do in a really beautiful and meaningful way in my life is provide that perspective to see the whole picture. And um, sometimes it's like you're standing in the fog and you're telling me, you know, not that I don't know if it, if that's the right analogy, but it's almost as if you can say you've been through the fog, at least maybe you're not standing in it, but you've been through it before and you can relate to that feeling. And I think that's something that's necessary as a coach and as a leader is being able to have been there before and, and knowing what that's like, maybe not the exact experience, but the feeling. Yep. That, that helps you relate when you've been through that. And I think that's one of the values of the steps back Mm -hmm. is those do become valuable uh, points of reference in the future. But along the lines of what you just said that I think is so vital and important is stopping to celebrate uh, it's so yeah. easy to you be, get me on this one a lot. Oh, it is. It's, it's we're plowing ahead <laughs> and I do this And one of the yeah. great lessons that, um, of this, the word picture that comes to mind is my wife and I were out, we went out, this was several years ago to a place in Tennessee called the beauty spot. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it's, it rides up along the Appalachian trail, but it's one of those places where you get on the Appalachian trail, you just drive up to the parking lot and you're right at the Appalachian trail. So you can park your car and just go hike on it without having a lot of fancy hiking gear. And -hmm. we walked across beauty spot, which is a bald on the top of a mountain and, and, uh, had, you know, just looking at the sunset and all the other hikers. And, and, uh, we were there just in the evening and we turned around to go back and the parking lot was forever away. And it's like, I, I just said to her, I said, I can't believe we walked this far. Like it, 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 we, we hadn't turned around to see the progress that we had made. And it just struck mm. me in that moment of how often I may just be heads down and trying to get through the day, uh, trying to get certain things done. I've been doing two steps forward, one step back. And some of us, we focus more on the one step back and start feeling discouraged. But over time, we've made a lot of progress. And, and there are times we just need to stop and turn around. I had a, a gentleman years ago, and I, uh, this is a story that, I, that is just one of my favorite experiences with him, but he was with a Parks and Recs uh, department, and uh, his whole job in the summer was to go out in most sports fields. And I don't know if you can imagine this, but the you know the big tractors and going out and mowing oh, yeah. soccer fields and baseball fields, and it's 90 mm-hmm. degrees out, and he's, his whole day was early in the morning till it got dark just mowing these fields so they'd all be ready for the weekend and and they had to be mowed every week and you're trying to work around rain and everything else and uh i just asked him one day because he 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 came to a session we were doing and came in a few minutes late and he's all hot and sweaty and drinking gallons of water just trying to cool (laughs) off from the day yeah and i just asked him i said i said when's the last time when you finished mowing a field you turned around and said dang that looks good Mm-hmm. And he said, I'd never do that. He said, I don't have time to do that. I said, you got to take time to do it. I said, I mm-hmm. want you to take time this week just to do that. I said, when you finish a field, don't take, it doesn't have to be a lot of time. Give yourself 30 seconds. You're worth mm-hmm. it. Give yourself 30 seconds to turn around and look at that field and say, dang, that looks good. Because that's the yeah. best that field's going to look mm-hmm. until you come back next week. And you just what happens if we, uh, Dave, what happens if we don't do that? So I'm someone who doesn't like to do that. I'll, I'll avoid that until Dave McCauley says, Hey, Brett, you need to pause and celebrate. 
What, what happens over time if we don't do that? We miss what I call the gold of that moment. Because when we mm. pause to do that, it's not just about the field. We start understanding the why. And here's what happened to him when he did that. Mm. When he did that, his memory went back to when he was a kid with a single mom that used to bring him to the ball fields on Saturday, realizing that someone had to mow the field for him. Wow. And this guy, which was a pretty big, burly guy, started cheering up when he started talking about the moms that mm. he was helping. Uh, the families that he was helping by mowing that field. Suddenly the meaning of mowing the field wasn't getting grass to the right height. It was making that field ready for the people that would be on that field that weekend. That 30 mm. seconds. And he told me, he said, he'll never mow a field. And I don't know whether he's done it since because you get busy again. But in that yeah. moment, he said he'd never mow a field without turning around and looking at it for a few seconds and mm. just telling himself that it looked good. Right. And, and, That's and, beautiful. and we need to yeah. start thinking about, stopping and doing that uh because when we do that that brings energy uh and that's another mm-hmm. whole other topic but one of the things yeah. that we forget as leaders for ourselves and for our team i mean there's studies been done by an organization called giant worldwide that did a study that that showed that most teams function at 59 percent is what they came up with they, they did a 59%. global study 59 percent of what their true potential Ooh. is now, wow. some of the reasons for that break down communication, trauma in the workplace, uh, but it's a lot of it's energy too. People not being in the mm. right spot, doing the right job, or not getting, not stopping to celebrate, working heads down, not taking a break. Uh, you know, we, you know, both of us like Brenda Burchard stuff, but you know, some of his mm-hmm. like fifty minute work hour kind of stuff. The idea is, how do we yeah. take breaks? How do we manage energy? How do we? Uh, take those moments to stop and celebrate and be aware of what our energy level is because of our energy yeah. levels down, right? It, and we've all held that with a flashlight with batteries that aren't working right or a toy that with the batteries are dying. It doesn't have the energy. It's not going to function at its full potential. Same is true mm-hmm. for us, right? It's so, a great illustration. So having that moment where we celebrate, celebration is an energy provider. It, it, yeah. it lets us know that we're making a difference. It starts fulfilling us and to pause and, and have that energy recharge helps you for what you're going to do next. It, 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 it's just take it's it's better than just plowing through. Mm. That's so well said. I want to go back. You talked near the beginning of our time together about what I would call imposter syndrome. Right. So as you're leveling up and you're taking on new challenges and you're trying to move towards the dreams that you have in your life. For some people, there tends to be this feeling of what if people see through and what if they realize that I'm not actually qualified for this position. And there's this feeling of not enoughness that can be really, it can be overwhelming and it can be crippling. I've, I've experienced this in my career in certain roles where they were a big step up. A great example is moving from our East Tennessee facility where I was managing, you know, at the top end, maybe 10 to 12 people and up to our Chicago facility, which was at our top end, uh, 75 to a hundred people and just being so overwhelmed. And at that point and that transition, it shifted to where most of the people that I was leading were older than me and more experienced than me in the industry that I was in. And it was really easy for me to feel like I wasn't qualified for the role that I was in. And so I'd love for you to share two things. One is, can you share a story where you were faced with a similar 
feeling where you were maybe faced with that sort of imposter syndrome feeling. And then two, if people are experiencing that, how, how do they start to get over that feeling? So let me start with your second question first. Let's do it. Don't get over the feeling. Okay. Tell me right? more. It, it, it is real, but it's mm. what grounds us. Okay. There's a difference between confidence and cockiness, and it's a really fine line. And there's yeah. something about imposter syndrome that, uh, that pulls us back. It's like gravity, right? So, yeah. so we're, we had a familiar level of leadership, and now we're into something new where someone's mm-hmm. asked us to do something that they think we're expert at. And here's one of the things that does happen. This is what happens with imposter syndrome is if you're good at one thing, people expect you to be good at other things. Doctors experience this. People go to a doctor's office, they'll ask a doctor what car they should buy. They just think <laughs> that a doctor's an expert on everything, right? Because yeah. they're smart yeah. and they've had all this training. Yeah, but imposter syndrome is a real thing. I deal with it. I deal mm-hmm. with it even now. When I'm yeah. put in a certain position yeah, or I'll have, uh, you know, and one of the things that I run into is I'm not super wealthy, but I'll have people that are running really large companies ask me to come in and sit down with them and help them think through something. I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, right. you know, yeah. I, I don't make one percent of what you yeah. make here. Right. Right. And right. you're asking for my advice and stuff. And it feels like this imposter syndrome, but over time you start recognize that people are people And in the mm. reality is I've sat in with some of those people and find out they've got imposter syndrome too. Mm. Right. And, and, and yeah. one of the greatest, and I'll, I'll share this, this is a personal story, but this was with my dad. My dad was a very triple a type a personality, very decisive. Yeah. Uh, he, he only had, uh, about a year of college, um, and, and then had to go to work and, and worked all his life and, and, uh, and was, and, and was fairly successful as a businessman. And I remember, uh, always struggling as a young man, uh, with not knowing exactly what to do. Somehow when I watched my dad, mm-hmm. it seemed like my dad always knew exactly what to do. And I just remember this when yeah. I was getting married, when I first had children, uh, somehow my dad always knew what to do. I had no clue what to do. I was sitting there looking at a situation going, I, I don't know what to do. And I'd right. be trying to think through it and trying to make the best decision I could and struggling with it the whole time. And when I was 26 years old, my dad called me up one night. It was about eight o'clock in the evening. And he said, I'm really struggling with something right now. He said, can I come over and talk with you about it? And my dad came over and sat mm. in my living room and wanted my input on an issue that he was dealing with and was the best gift my dad ever gave me. He pulled back the curtain. He didn't realize that at the time he was literally struggling with something that he had had never experienced before and was trying to work through it and uh, gave me the honor of me being the sounding board for that, but never knew that he gave me the gift of knowing that he didn't always know what to do either. And sometimes there's times to wrestle through. And that's part of that whole imposter syndrome. We think that people around us or other people have done it just did it perfectly all the time and they didn't right so we're holding this expectation so one of the things that we talk about and i do a whole workshop on this too is the gap right understanding the gap we always have this ideal right of how we're going to perform yeah uh, we have this image in our head of what we're going to achieve but we always come up a little short yeah. Uh, we're not quite at where we thought we were going to be. There's always this gap on performance. Uh, it can even be on character 
times, right? Where we we always think we're going to make just always do the right thing, and then we come up to a situation that's got some gray area in it. We make a choice, and afterwards we're wondering, did was that really the right thing? Was that the most honest thing? And there's this gap that we have to deal with. And the gap doesn't mean that we're a hypocrite. It just means we're human, right? It's it's we've set this goal or this ideal, and that's not bad. But there's always a gap, and we're and we're going to try to figure out how to close that gap. And the more comfortable we get with that gap being our growth zone rather than our failure zone, uh, the easier it is to get past that whole imposter syndrome. If going into it ahead of time and going, you know what the standards here, reality is I'm probably here. I've got to close the gap and I'm going to work mm-hmm. at that and I'm going to grow and I'm going to learn. But when you're going into a new position, it's not that you're all or nothing. You're probably 80% there. Celebrate right. that. Celebrate the fact that someone gave you that position. Someone thought enough about you to say, hey, Brett, we're going to move you from this operation with 10 team members. We'll move you to one with 75. You go, oh, my goodness. But the first yeah. thing to say is, you know what? There's going to be a gap. I'm probably mm. going to be 80% ready to go into that particular situation. And that gap is going to be my growth zone. And I'm going yeah. to, from day one, I'm going to start closing that gap. I'm going to start figuring out. But here's the reality. It always happens with the gap. We teach this in the workshop. When you start closing the gap, what happens to the gap? Your ideal, you start seeing, it's it like moves. going into the fog, yeah. right? Yeah. You start seeing how much more you can be. So there's always mm-hmm. going to be the gap. Mm-hmm. And the reality is you're always going to function probably about 80% of what your ideal is or what your goals are because as you continue to improve, you're going to move the goal line of what you think you could be. And so you just have to always manage that gap. But I would go back and just say, you know, when you have the imposter syndrome, just say, embrace it. Say, you know what? Yeah. That's okay. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to learn. I'm going to grow. I'm going to do it. Um, I'm, I'm going to work through it. Uh, but use the, the, that, that kind of imposter syndrome rather to, uh, be something where you feel like you're uh, being grounded and not, uh, being a failure. Mm. Dave, I love that the first answer to that question was don't. I I'd actually, I don't know that you've ever said it in that specific and direct of a way. And I, I just felt that so powerfully in this sense of maybe something that has always been in some way inside of me. And I think a lot of leaders or just people in general experience that feeling of imposter syndrome and knowing that it's there for a reason and knowing that it can be a guide, um, that it doesn't have to be the only voice that you listen to, but that there's, there is a good reason for it to be there and that we can use it as a tool. So thank you for sharing that. And I, it meant a lot to me to hear you say that in that way. It it helps motivate me to prepare better too. So, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, as we get comfortable in leadership roles, uh, we tend to wing it in areas that we feel most confident. And yeah. uh, so when the imposter syndrome sneaks up on me at times, uh, it grounds me and it makes me uh, take an honest assessment of how prepared I am for the challenge ahead. And yeah. uh, that's uh, you know part of the benefit of having having it sneak in there is sometimes it reminds me that I need to prepare more right. for what I'm about to face and not just go into it uh confident because of something I've done in the past, but this is a new challenge at a new level. And it it Mm -hmm. really is a a reality check many times. Yeah, that's really well said. Tell me the story, Dave, of Summit. How how did Summit come about? 
And for those people who may not know what Summit is, can you just share a little bit about Summit Leadership Foundation and 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 what it is that Summit does? So Summit Leadership Foundation is a nonprofit organization, and we believe that better leaders equal stronger communities, that communities mm-hmm. can be stronger when leaders work better together within a community. And uh, we see this in it with our with Summit. We work in three very influential sectors within our community. We look at business leaders, nonprofit leaders, and church leaders within the community. And we figure mm-hmm. out ways to create a central gathering place or hub, which which is our summit facility. It's a large meeting facility space where leaders from the community gather for equipping, for their own meetings, for community events. And we get those leaders, we want to get those leaders together. And we want it, we want to do four things. We want to connect those leaders uh, because we are you know, nobody does great things alone, right? Mm-hmm. We're created, I think, to do great things, but we're designed in such a way we can't do great things alone. We need other people. We're not good at everything. We have blind spots. We need other people around us. So connecting leaders where they get around other leaders with similar passions and interests uh, is one of the, the roles that we see of creating better leaders. Better leaders mm-hmm. are better when they have other good leaders around them. And then uh, we do consulting and coaching. So a lot of times consulting, when we're talking about people having a dream or a strategic vision or a plan, uh, how do we help them with that? Because sometimes passion, uh, sometimes excitement gets in the way of having a good plan. So we, the consulting part is helping somebody have a good plan and, and have a good design for what the end might look like. And then we do coaching. Uh, how, how do we walk through that with them? And the analogy we use for that is kind of like a spotter for a weightlifter. Uh, they're doing the main lifting, but we're there with them. Uh, we're going to steady the bar. We're going to get it if it gets, you know, if it gets a little out of control. But they're doing the main lifting. Coaching is just coming alongside. We're at that point not telling them what to do. We're just going to we're going to support them. We're going to challenge them. It's kind of like the spotter when you think you're done, and they say, "I think you can do two more." And, and then when you're struggling a little bit, they're going to steady the bar. But they're not doing the main lifting. You are. So that's the kind of the coaching role. Then the final one we call these are four C's. The final one is caring. Uh, so we have a whole uh, counseling network through Summit that's available of all different kinds of specialties. But, you know, dealing with things like imposter syndrome, uh, there are other things that happen with leaders. I mean, uh, leadership is hard. Uh, and sometimes people become overwhelmed. They become burned out. They become discouraged. Sometimes other people are hurt by the decisions we make. Uh, or sometimes we're dealing with people in leadership. Uh, situations and this happens with first responders happens with social workers that are on the front line they end up uh having vicarious if you will trauma uh, they're they're living trauma through someone else's trauma uh, that mm-hmm. they're around and that trauma experience uh is uh, difficult for them or we have leaders who have people on their team where they've experienced some sort of trauma or loss. And so we try to support leaders for the leaders themselves and people on their team through caring. So the connecting, mm-hmm. consulting, coaching, and caring are the four core services that we do. And we believe that as we bring those leaders together and, and work together, that we that we end up with a stronger community. But where that started from is back when I worked, I at least used to live in St. Petersburg, Florida, work for a large nonprofit down there. And part of my job was to go out in the community and help network. And I just saw a lot of siloing in the community and you know business communities yeah. over here and they're going to chamber of commerce stuff and they were pretty well connected churches mm-hmm. just by denomination maybe were connected but not across with other churches nonprofits were all individually isolated they all sell themselves in competition with every other nonprofit to raise funds so nobody was oh, really yeah. working together and i just started doing these little lunch and co- coffee gatherings down in st pete back in the early 90s 
uh, just getting four or five leaders together uh, that has similar passion or similar group of people they were trying to serve. And maybe it was a couple of business people, maybe as somebody from a church, maybe a couple of people from a nonprofit and get them in the same room around the same table just to talk about how they might work together. And in that experience, started seeing traction happening. And that was the early kind of word picture or image mm-hmm. that I had for Summit where these leaders around a common table together to uh, you know, to experience that. And then, you know, Summit is a faith-based organization. And there is an account in the Old Testament with Moses where he's fighting a battle. And God mm-hmm. tells Moses to stand on the summit of the hill is actually where we get our name. And if he holds the staff of God above his head, uh, Israel will prevail in that battle. And this is the word picture that we use today. And and his arms got tired, but that's when two other leaders, Aaron and her, came alongside and rolled up a stone for Moses to sit on. And one had held up one arm and one held up the other. And together that day, they won that battle because those leaders came together. Uh, so Moses couldn't do it on his own. He had to have Aaron and her come alongside and help him with that. And that's kind of our mm-hmm. word picture for Summit. So we see ourselves like Aaron and her coming alongside, helping other leaders accomplish what we believe God's called them to do. It's usually something huge, usually something they can't do on their own. But if we bring the right people around them and we provide those services of connecting, how do we connect them to the right people and the right resources? Mm-hmm. How do we consult with them, help them with a good design and a good plan and and what the end looks like how do we come alongside coach them and encourage them challenge them support them in the process and then how do we care for them what is rolling up a stone for them to sit on look like in their life what what do they need and how can we help them with that Uh, so now today summit serves about 200 different organizations in our area those are leaders we regularly get together uh just have uh ability to have huge impact and and we go back when people ask us about it and we really are like the spotter uh for Mm -hmm. a weightlifter we're not doing the heavy lifting uh we have a fairly small staff we have 10 people uh that Mm -hmm. work on the summit staff but we do we serve you know tens of thousands of people every year in our region Uh, but it's through these other leaders and through these leaders working together and, and, uh, we just kind of serve as the, as the spotter and, and provide those kind of support services for it. I wish, I wish the idea of, of summit was in more locations and maybe that's something, maybe that's something you can work on Dave, because I'll tell you when I moved to East Tennessee, it was a unique experience and was one of the easiest places that I've ever moved to in all of my relocations to get plugged in. And I had one mutual friend, Chad, you know, who I'm probably talking about. And Chad said, Hey, I need you to go meet this guy named Dave. And, uh, and he passed me your contact info and you, I think in that first conversation gave me three or four people's phone numbers. And you're like, Hey, you need to connect to this person and this person and this person. And some of my best friends in the world still to this day were people that in that very first conversation, you said, Hey, you need to reach out to these people. And I think that's the power of connecting and it, and connecting across those silos is something that if if set up in more communities successfully can really transform the way that communities function right. in a really powerful and meaningful way. I was someone who didn't know Johnson city. I didn't know the tri cities area. I moved down there simply for work and I thought, you know, maybe I'd be down there for two years and move away and that would be it. And again, I made some of the best friends of my life in East Tennessee Yep. And, and I think that's the power of, of what you do at summit. So thank you. Well, for We'd like to see it replicated. So anybody listening to this, want to start it, reach out. We'll help you. 
Yeah. Reach out to Dave. I, I really do. I've seen firsthand the, the way that these interactions start to build camaraderie and collaboration across areas that typically don't have it. And it's a really powerful thing, um, especially in times of need, when there's things that happen within the community that are really difficult to overcome, having someone who can reach out to all of these different groups and has relationships and that all of the different groups trust uh, is such a powerful thing. But here's one thing we have learned that I will share. If anybody wants to start a connecting organization or process, we've learned this the hard way. It's actually one of our guiding principles uh, behind connecting. And it's this very phrase that we do introductions. We do not do prearranged marriages. And the reason for that is if you force connecting, uh, where uh, uh, where there isn't that chemistry between the people, and you over push it, and it becomes very tactical or transition or transactional in how it's uh, uh, being conducted. Uh, those don't last. It's about relationship. They, the person mm-hmm. has to build the relationship with the other person. So you want to make the introduction, but you want to hold that loosely as you make those introductions. You t- reach out to this person, that person. If the relationship basis is there, the chemistry is there for those people to connect. They will connect. Uh, but don't force it. If you force mm. it, it, the whole, the whole thing breaks down. Dave, what are you most proud of in your, in your career? Is there a moment that really stands out as something that's really meaningful to you? People like you, <laughs> seriously, <laughs> as I get, uh, yeah. as I get older in life, uh, leadership grandchildren, I've got two grandsons. They live in Spain, so we do a lot of FaceTime, travel over there a couple times a year, and uh, yeah. they're over there with the military, but um, uh, love those grandsons. And uh, leadership grandchildren, uh, to me, are uh, one of the joys of life. When I look at mm. you, our mutual friend, Pi, other young men that I get to uh, interact with, uh, see them uh, lead and take the baton of leadership and move to the next generation as I, uh, you know, in coming years start slowing down, I'm not planning on anytime super soon, but that's my, that's my my level of my greatest fulfillment Yeah, is the, uh, the satisfaction of watching from afar, uh, those, uh, young men, you know, growing and learning and, and, and having small parts. I will tell you a story. One young man is actually a professional soccer player, plays in, Vietnam right now as an international soccer player, but I coached him in fourth grade in soccer, right? One of my early yeah. kind of uh, leadership roles, and uh, I didn't yeah. teach him a lick about soccer, but we had a lot of fun that year. <laughs> we, had, we had a lot of fun as a team, and him and his dad got uh, excited about soccer. They may have been excited before they even got on that team, but anyway, started doing travel teams, and he played college soccer and now plays internationally, and, and you know, I kind of follow him and follow his career. And I just tell that story again. It was, I didn't have anything to do with his whole career, but I knew him when, right? And and I get to see this person follow their dream and follow their passion. For him, it was soccer. For other people, might be starting a business or starting a nonprofit or uh, going, you know, doing something great in life that was part of their dream, and that was his dream. And as he mm-hmm. follows his dream, and I get to just watch that journey, I, I get a great sense of uh, fulfillment out of just being somewhere on the dotted line of that journey uh, that I got to be part of his story. And yeah. uh, so anyways, next time he's in Johnson city, he's promised me to put up a autograph poster of himself in our hallway. So I'm looking forward that. to that. 
That's awesome. But again, I can't take credit for his success. And that's true of people like you, people like Pi. Uh, You just get to come along, be part of the journey. You don't know what parts you really played. It's a, it's a, it it is the spotter and the weightlifter analogy. Uh, The spotter can't take a lot of credit for the success of the bodybuilder, but you got to be part of it somehow. And, and I think Mm -hmm. if we're all okay with that and other people's lives as leaders, uh, we can end up having leadership grandchildren that then themselves are replicating other people, other leaders. Yeah. That's something that I find so inspiring in how you've been so instrumental in my journey. And I think from your perspective, you know, looking at it and seeing you would look at me and see me doing the work and I would look at you, Dave, and I would see how would I have gotten here without that guidance? Like that the work wouldn't have ever been possible without standing on your shoulders at times and without that spot that you're giving me sometimes and without that support. And so one, I want you to know the work that you do is meaningful, not just to me, but I think with many people that I know in the world. And that's one of the reasons I thought getting you on the show is absolutely critical Two. I see that and I want to carry the baton forward. The way that you lead, the way that you mentor, uh, the way that you're always trying to find someone that you can sort of help and see potential in and bring up to the next level. The way that you saw that in me, that's something that's inspirational to me and has become an aspirational goal of mine is like being able to sit in your seat at some point and share my stories. Uh, and so thank you. Thank you for that. As we're sort of starting to wrap up here, I want to take a minute and think about people that maybe are just starting out in their leadership journey, maybe taking that first step and it feels scary. It doesn't feel normal yet. Maybe there's a lot of imposter syndrome and they're, they're really just getting going. What would, what advice would you give someone who's just starting out? You've got to find the people who believe in you. And, um, and they are around, uh, we've had them as coaches in school. I remember mine was Mr. Hollingsworth, who I had as a fourth grade teacher, uh, then had him again in fifth grade. And I remember first day of fifth grade, he put me in charge of stuff in the classroom. And that was my first leadership role in fifth grade. Uh, but Mr. Hollingsworth believed in me and he expressed that belief that I could do it. And, and, uh, we need to surround ourselves with those people. Uh, to this day, when I'm doing public speaking, I look out at an audience, I'm looking for the people in the audience that are looking at me and nodding. Uh, yeah. I find those people because there are people with their arms crossed. There's people that are taking a nap. There's people that are disengaged or on their phone. And if I look at them, mm-hmm. uh, they'll pull me down. The people who are nodding and yeah. leaning in, uh, energize me and keep me on my game. And so I say to the young leaders, find those people around you. Maybe it's your mother. Maybe it's your grandmother. Uh, maybe it's your, you know, a coach. Maybe it's a fellow worker. Uh, but find those people who believe in you and, uh, and just, you know, share, share your, your struggles with them or whatever too. And those can become your early coaches. The other thing is leaders are learners. Uh, so mm-hmm. never stop learning, uh, whether it's listening to podcasts, uh, whether it's reading a book, uh, listening to audio books. Uh, even if it's when you're watching uh, certain movies, I mean, there's movies out there that uh, inter- that could be entertainment, but you also can look at a movie and learn a lot uh, from uh, 
things that are in particular movies, a lot of times sports movies or military oriented movies or whatever, where there's our leadership principles within. And you just look for those as a leader. And, and, mm. and then I would, uh, the celebration thing becomes uh, a big part of this journey too, as a leader is, uh, try to celebrate the things you did right. So in a day, if you look at 10 things you did and you did two things really well, five things probably okay, and you did two or three things that weren't that good, don't focus on those things that weren't that good. Maybe pick one of those and try to get better at it, but celebrate the two that you did well. Uh, We all need that positive reinforcement and you've got to be able to believe in yourself uh, at some level too that this is worth it. Uh, that you can do it, uh, that there is a gap, uh, that yes, you feel like an imposter, uh, you have opportunity for growth. Uh, and I think the mindset piece of that is huge. And you and I have had lots of discussion around mindset. Yeah. To me, that's the big, once you become a victim, once you become a blamer, uh, you're never going to get anywhere. Uh, when you see every situation as a learning opportunity to close the gap, when you do a reality check and really tell yourself and remind yourself you're probably doing it 80% right, uh, that you're trying to close a 20% gap. It's not typically the other way around, uh, Mm -hmm. that you start recognizing that you're more than halfway there. Uh, Those are the type things I would encourage young leaders to do. Uh, Mm -hmm. The other thing that, and John Maxwell has a book that's, I think, an excellent, simple book for, it's it's good for any level of leader, but it's good for if you're starting into leadership. And it's just called The Five Levels of Leadership. And uh, he he did a, a, back in 2011, I think, uh, about a 35-minute video on that that's on YouTube, too. And another, just a great way to get an overview of that book. But, you know, once you've been given a leadership position, that's only part of it. Uh, Mm -hmm. He talks about level two being permission level. Uh, you have to get the permission of those that you want to lead for you to lead them. If you don't get their permission, and permission always comes before buy-in. We, we hear a lot about buy-in, but permission precedes buy-in. Sometimes people will give us their permission before they've totally bought into us or totally bought into the mission, uh, but you have to get their permission to get them to even take a step with you. And and uh, so anyways, just thinking through some of those things as a young leader, those, and, and then the next step is the production level step, right? You've got to not only get people to like you and follow you, you got to get the job done and leaders are responsible to make sure the right results are happening. Uh, but you always mm. have to, we, we, we have a, a playing that tension between the people and the tasks. Uh, so I yeah. do have a resource website. That's the corex 25com yeah, website. So corex is an acronym. Uh, it's just C O R E X. 25.com and it's got a little diagram on there that's the alignment diagram but it's that that tension between people and tasks as leaders we're always managing that tension uh, we got to get the job done but we got to motivate people to do the job and if you over motivate people you will get out of alignment if you spend too much time with people and not getting the task done if you're all about getting the task done and you're not sensitive to the people over time you'll get out of alignment and, and as a leader you've mm-hmm. got to manage that tension it's not something you can solve. It's always something to manage. Uh, and you got to figure out how to keep everybody in alignment between the tasks and the people. But uh, that's one of the things is, as young leaders understand that, you know, a lot, lot most of what, everything we deal with is managing tension, not really solving a problem. Uh, yeah. Most things we can't totally solve. We're just going to have to always manage it and, and try to uh, help that tension. Such a good, such a good analogy. I really 
like that. I still go back to that graphic quite a bit and look at it because it's, it's such a good reminder. There's days or weeks when I feel like maybe I'm doing really well. And then I look at that graphic and I'm like, you know what? I've spent 95% of my week this week on tasks and I, I haven't talked to my team enough. I need to just take the afternoon, go sit with them, visit with them, see how they're doing, see how their families are. And then you know, it's, it's just powerful, I guess, to visualize that. The other thing that came to mind while you were sharing that was just, this is one of those moments, I guess I look back on and, and laugh at myself when it comes to leadership is with growth mindset. There was a time when I really felt like I had achieved a growth mindset, which I look at now and I, I kind of laugh because now I realize that growth mindset sort of ebbs and flows. And there's times when I have a great growth mindset at work, but then maybe in my relationship with Courtney, my wife, I have a fixed mindset and I need to start to figure out how do I start to grow there? Or maybe it's in the gym. I've developed somewhat and it happens really gradually over time. It's never by intention, but I think it's always without intention to continue having a growth mindset. And it's really easy to get comfortable in a certain area. Um, And I think it's also just unreasonable to focus on every area all the time. That's something that's been hard for me to swallow over, (laughs) over time is just, I, I really struggle with wanting to be great at everything all the time. And that's something that you've really helped me with as well is just learning that, you know what, there's times when I'm going to focus on this area and this area is going to maybe not be a huge priority or as much of a priority. And then I'm going to realize, Hey, you know what, that's an area now I need to focus on. And, um, I think you can, you can make progress in all areas, but the real progress happens when you can really dedicate focus and energy towards something more narrow than broad. Yep. Very good. So Dave, what's next for you? I'm curious. I'm at, so that's a good question, but I've actually hired a uh, coach here to help me. I'm on a five year transition plan. Okay. Uh, I just turned 65 and I want to do this for quite a while longer, but with Summit, we brought in a whole staff. I've replaced myself, hired yeah. my replacement. They're all running everything. I'm still involved, uh, but I don't want to be that guy that is a founder that has founder syndrome. And I think I might have accidentally even said founder syndrome instead of imposter syndrome earlier because those two things uh, are realities that I that I have to, to, to deal with. But a founder syndrome yeah. is when you start an organization, it could be a company or a nonprofit, and uh, you just hang on too long because it's your baby and you don't want to let it go. Mm-hmm. And it, it's a difficult process to let go and to uh, launch them out and let them be successful and uh, not be a helicopter parent of your own organization that you started. Uh, so I have a coach coming in to help me with that transition. Uh, to, again, awareness, to be aware of uh, being able to be supportive of them, being able to advise them, uh, being able to replace myself in the roles that I'm doing right now over time. Uh, so we're bringing other people in to help do workshops, bringing other people in to help do our core services of consulting and coaching. I'll still do a lot of those, but we'll bring other people in and gradually ch- shift the model because as an organization, if we've grown. I've start, I did all that to start with, and then we have one other person does it. And, and uh, now we're going to end up looking at trying to have a team of 10 or 12 people that do it because that's more scalable, more sustainable. And mm-hmm. uh, so anyways, we're working towards that over the next five years. Uh, and awesome. so that'll be part of my role in, uh, in the five years. 
uh, I'm off payroll. Uh, it's already been, I mean, this has been voted on by our board and we hired the coach and no pressure, no pressure, but I'm out of here at the end of uh, December of 2027. Uh, I'll be done with summit leadership as far as being on the payroll. If they let me come back as a volunteer, I probably continue to do some of the stuff as long as I'm able. Uh, yeah. But that's my next season in life is how to finish well here and transition this organization to where I, I let go, let them take it uh, to the next level. Kind of like our own kids that you haven't got to this stage yet, but when they leave the house and become adults, they make mm-hmm. decisions on their own. And I don't always agree with their decisions, but I want to support their decisions. And it's not that their right. decisions are wrong. It's just different than what I would have decided. And, and, uh, but I want to support them in that it's their decision. Right. And that's yeah. the way this is. Yeah. The organization is not mine. It's, uh, to serve this region. And, and, uh, like you said, hopefully at some point get the model replicated around the, around the country. And I think we're, get into a stage when we get past the founder where now it could be something more replicable. It's hard to replicate something that's a founder overly involved organization. Next generation is easier to replicate. So right. anyways, that, that's part of the plan in this too, is to get us in a place where we could be more replicable. Mm, I love that. Well, Dave, if people want to reach out to you, whether it's about I, I don't, I'm sure people maybe gathered this throughout the interview, but you are a coach and a consultant. You are a speaker. You're an author. You are a friend of mine. Uh, but if people want to to reach out to you for any of those services, if they're curious about the model at Summit and they want to reach out about that, how can people get in touch with you? So the easiest way is just uh, through the Summit Life website. So Summit Leadership is the organization. The website is summitlife.org. So it's okay. S-U-M-M-I-T-L-I-F-E dot O-R-G. And okay. the easiest way to get me is to just do contact at summitlife.org. Uh, that way it'll get in, uh, the, the message will get in here and I'll, and I'll get it. Um, but if you need me to reach out to you or if we, if you want to touch base or talk about any kind of services or any questions you have, let us know. So that's that one website. And then we mentioned the other one, the CoreX 25 website that we created just as a resource website around the CoreX model. And uh, so that's another place people can visit. And that's got a place on it, contact at corex25.com on that one. Uh, so they could contact me through those contact email addresses. Perfect. So I will link to both of those in the show notes. Anything that Dave has mentioned kind of throughout the episode, I'll make sure we have down in the show notes. So it's really easy for you to just click and contact if that's something that interests you. Dave, is there anything else that you want to tell everyone while you have the chance before we wrap up today? No, just proud of you and proud of this, you doing this program. And, and, uh, I get a lot of joy out of you young guys coming up and being the next generation. So yeah, this is, this has been a lot of fun and it's one of the projects that I'm most proud of. And, and it's truly something where I feel like I'm using the skills that you and, and many others of my mentors have taught me every single day. So it's really cool to see it come all full circle. And Dave, I just want to thank you for being on the show today, for taking the time. This was a really last minute. I had someone who had to drop off and wasn't able to make it today. And so I texted Dave and I said, Hey, this is super last minute, but can you, can you possibly make it today? And here he is. So Dave, thank you so much for being on the show. Well, thanks Brett. All right. We'll talk soon. There you have it, everyone. Dave McCauley. Thank you so much to Dave for being on the show. 
as I said before, Dave is someone who has been a tremendous influence in my life and who I have learned and continue to learn so much from. I hope that you learned a lot today too. I hope maybe you took some notes. I hope maybe you found some things that might help you in your leadership journey. As we mentioned in the podcast, you can find Dave at summitlife.org or corex25.com. Corex25.com is spelled C-O-R-E-X 25.com. Summitlife.org is spelled S-U-M-M-I-T-L-I-F-E.org. And you can also reach out to Dave by email at contact at summitlife.org. So please reach out to him if anything today caught your attention. As always, thanks again to Tower Community Bank for bringing us today's episode. Be sure to check us out at towercommunitybank.com or if there's a transaction you want to perform or you just have some questions and want to talk to a live banker, you can reach us at virtual.towercommunitybank.com. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I know you have many options for podcasts and other entertainment to listen to. Your attention means the world and I don't take it for granted. If you did enjoy today's episode, please like the podcast, give us a review. You can email me at podcasts at towercommunitybank.com. And don't forget to share it with your friends. That is such a meaningful thing. It only takes a few seconds for you to share the podcast with someone you know or on your social, and it makes a tremendous difference in people's ability to find our show. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll see you next time for another episode of The Impact Code. Bye.